Welcome to the RSP cast film and data film actually film and theory I'm I'm in the midst of like staying up late doing the film stuff so Adam's just gonna bear with me here but it's always a pleasure to have you know Adam join me every week on this show we're gonna continue to do some off-season shows this week uh, we'll talk about what our thoughts were on the 2023 rookie class as well as just moments that we really enjoyed from the season things that just stood out to us as enjoyable you know narratives or or just um data points or whatever it is um that we tended to like tend to like from the season so you know let's start off with that adam like who what are some things that um, you really enjoyed about this season that just stood out to you? Because I know you're a chaos guy, and I know that we've got plenty of chaos. My favorite, by far, far and away my favorite story of the season has been the Texans. Um, and just, like, what a reminder they are, where, like, 12 to 18 months ago, I think they were in worse shape than they were as an expansion franchise. I think I thought the franchise was in a worse position than it was in 2002. Um, partly because of just like some of the commitments they had made and because they, I would have thought that that, that like, that was the sort of hole that takes years to dig yourself out of and, uh, like one coaching hire and one draft pick, and now they're vying for the playoffs. Um, and they're, I think one of the most exciting and entertaining young teams in the league, they have one of the brightest futures. Like if you could pick a fan base today and you're like, I want to share in that fan base of successes over the next five years. Houston ranks quite high on that list. And I love it partly because I think Texas fans deserve nice things. They haven't really had the easiest of, um, and you know, no fan ever has, like nothing's ever always sunshine and roses, but like I would love to see good things happen to the Texans fan base, especially after what happened with the Oilers and, and that city. I think it deserves some really good unqualified NFL success. Um, I really love D'Amico Ryans. I'm really happy for C.J. Stroud and all the bullshit narratives that surrounded him coming out. I, I love when, like, a guy is surrounded by nonsense and comes in and the nonsense is, like, ethered in, in three weeks where, like, it's just kind of the curtains pulled back and it's revealed for what it is. Um, so I loved watching the Texans. Um, I've been really interested watching Jordan Love and the Packers this year. Because I feel like that's been a huge roller coaster where, like, the first couple weeks, everybody's like, Jordan Love is the next franchise quarterback. And then, like, at midseason, everybody's like, Jordan Love is terrible. And then now everybody's like, Jordan Love, he's like one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. And I think with young quarterbacks, you get those ups and downs because you don't have like a large sample to anchor to. So you are very prone to prevailing wins. Um, and I, you know, I like Jordan Love, but I, I really like. You know, I feel like he's a lens that through which we can view other people. Like the interesting thing to me is not Jordan Love; it's people's reactions to Jordan Love yes. over time. You really get a feel for like how people and their football watching works. Um, yeah, those are probably the first two that that come yeah. to mind. There's a lot of other interesting yeah. things, but like I'll those are the a, things positive give, that I'm excited about. Yeah, I'll give you a couple. I mean, Love certainly is one of those two because I enjoyed seen a team once again develop a quarterback or at least give the quarterback time for him to develop himself however you want to you know phrase that i think the latter is probably more accurate but having the time to you know work with outside of the organization and have the organization kind of foster a friendly environment for him to 
to to get better. I mean, it, they did it with Aaron Rodgers. They did it to an extent with Brett Favre. Um, even if that seems like more of a happy accident, they they stumbled upon that. Matt Hasselbeck to a degree. So Mark Brunel. Mark Brunel, absolutely. Yep. You know, so I think that this is uh, to me that just fosters a notion that that I've always liked to preach is intermittent playing time and development. Um, Dak Prescott, I just like the fact that look, Dak Prescott has always been a good quarterback, and maybe and a and I would say a good quarterback is one that when you give him the talent, he can give you elite production, and I think that that's what we've seen with him but he's that prevailing win player if there is ever was one he's either great or terrible and especially from the the cowboys fans i mean it's just like he's i feel like cowboys fans they all are like that father who is always disappointed in their son no matter what they do well because somehow they were raised on roger stallback and it's like if if they're not the romanticized version of Roger Staubach, not the realistic one, but the romanticized version of Roger Staubach, they all suck, you know? I mean, but... I had multiple Cowboy fans. I used to live in the Dallas area, and I had multiple, as in, like, more than one. It was three or four different Cowboy fans tell me at one point or another that Tony Roman was great, but maybe Dallas should bench him and see what they have in Kyle Orton. Yeah, exactly. That's a that that sounds like a total Cowboys thing. My father-in-law is a Cowboys fan, is a huge Cowboys fan. And I think that when you look at this team, it's not just Prescott and the referendum on him, but Mike McCarthy. I like the fact that whatever you think about some of the things Mike McCarthy did working his way back into coaching circles and some of the, you know, the him I think taking the savvy media route to show kind of what he's been doing to prepare so that he could do that I liked the fact that you know Kellen Moore was supposed to be this offensive guru and then Mike McCarthy who supposedly his offense got him run out of you know Green Bay comes in and actually his offense is a great fit for Prescott and Prescott has nothing but glowing things to say about it so I think there's something about second chances that I really liked. And of course, to me, Brock Purdy. I mean, I I mean, just whether you thought he was good or not, or I mean, I didn't think he was gonna deliver MVP numbers. I didn't think he'd be that kind of player. I thought he'd be a just simply a game manager. Um, and I think a lot of people still view him that way. But I think the worm's starting to turn a little bit in that regard. I think we're and and to me the game that really did it was what everyone where everyone was saying he was at his worst was that Bengals game with Joe Burrow. That was a fantastic display of quarterbacking from two of the excellent quarterbacks in the league. And while Purdy had some bad moments in it, some of the things that he did well were the things that stood out where you're like, that guy's for real. That is a and 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 I like seeing that Whenever he has a bad game, he seems to rebound the next week very well, and that's a telling thing too. So I'm encouraged about seeing him in that situation, you know, seeing him perform at the level that he has. And I'm kind of rooting for him to be, you know, the next player that at least if we can compartmentalize the comparison to late-round pick who's made, who's played well beyond what people thought, 
you could put Tom Brady at the very top. You can put Kurt Warner certainly in there too. And then, you know, I think that Brock Purdy's going to earn his way into that tier if he already hasn't. And I think if you look at career arcs too, I mean, I know Tom Brady is always a fraught comparison just right. because he's so salient. Um, but like career arcs, Purdy looks a lot like early career Tom Brady. He gets a lot of the same criticisms as early career Tom Brady. Yep. Um, if you want a little bit of a less fraught comparison, he like if you look at the shape of his career, it looks a lot like early career Russell Wilson. Looks a lot like early career Ben Roethlisberger. You have these guys who are in very favorable situations, yep. who are just hyper efficient on kind of like they're they're less offensively involved. You know, like like Dak Prescott might be sixty percent of san francisco's offense by volume brock purdy might be 52 or 53 percent by volume he's he's they're relying on him they're leaning on him less but he's doing really well in that limited role and historically what you tend to find is what happens to those guys over time is especially once they get their second contract and they're taking up a larger percentage of the cap and the team can no longer pay to have so many linchpins everywhere else teams tend to rely on them more and more and more and most quarterbacks, when they're relied on more, they remain just as good as they were before. Tom Brady was an excellent low-volume quarterback who became an excellent high-volume quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger saying, like, it's it's hard to remember, maybe for some, just how low-volume he was early in his career. And now he had, he's like one of, he has some of the highest percentage of like 500-yard passing games in NFL history. And he's got like some very gaudy volume stats later in his career. Um, Russell Wilson, again, he never really got to like, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger levels of volume, but he he became more and more involved in that offense over time, yeah. and he thrived in that in that larger role. And that would be my expectation for Purdy going forward. That I think I'm not saying he's going to be the next Tom Brady, but I think over time, especially once it comes time to pay him, San Francisco is going to rely on him more. And I don't expect him to be less special than he is now once they do. Um, and I'm really glad you brought up Mike McCarthy because. Um, I always have a, a test for a statistic. Like, is this a good statistic or is this a bad statistic? The easiest way to tell is you look at the leaderboard and you see like the top 10 names it produces. And if you look at the leaderboard for yards per attempt, like, okay, cool. These are all the MVP front runners. Yards per attempt is a very good, it's a simple statistic. There's better stuff out there, but like, it's a quality statistic. It's telling you what you want to know. If you look at the leaderboard for like interception percentage, there's always a ton of random guys like Brock Huard or Damon Huard or yeah, just... Random, random dudes. Um, interception percentage is not really a good measure of quarterback quality. And and by the leaderboard test, the best simple statistic for anybody in football is wins above 500 for coaches. If you sort all coaches all time by just it's wins minus losses, like the top 20, it's like 17 Hall of Famers plus Marty Schottenheimer, who should be in the Hall of Fame, and he's not going to make it, and that's stupid, and voters are dumb. Um, and, like, Mike Tomlin, who, like, he, he easily could have made my list of favorite things of, of 2023 is another year of, of doubting, like, oh, Mike Tomlin's not really anything special, and he's, you know, making chicken salad out of chicken shit, and, um, and, and Mike McCarthy. And for the longest time, I was like, yeah, it, the leaderboard test on wins above 500, it's like this amazing thing, like the top 20 is all, like, Hall of Famers and Mike McCarthy, and I kind of felt like his was a little bit fraudulent because of Aaron Rodgers, and now we're seeing, you know, completely different circumstances that, like, no, he's a, he's a legitimately great coach. Um, he, he 
I think especially with the Rodgers saga, with Rodgers trying to shift so much of the blame onto him, people took Rodgers' side in that maybe more than they should have, and especially given how well he played the year after McCarthy left. Um, it's kind of like a, a Dan Reeves, John Elway thing where – like John Elway got a lot better after Dan Reeves left. Yeah, maybe they weren't the greatest fit, but like Reeves is still a great coach, yes. and that shouldn't be. He wasn't the greatest fit, and in, in Denver did the right thing moving on from him. They should have done it earlier, but Reeves can flat out coach, and he took the Falcons to the Super Bowl. And I feel like McCarthy is very much like a Dan Reeves kind of guy, where like, yeah, he's not the sexiest coach, but you can't argue with the results. The wins everywhere. Um, is he one of the twenty best coaches in NFL history? Like wins above five hundred would suggest. No. Is he one of the top 40? Maybe. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think that, you know, one, the Brock Purdy thing kind of feels like it's begging for a trading places scenario. Like, I feel like that the if that we could have a trading places movie scenario, the whole Mac Jones, Brock Purdy debate that Dan Orlovsky brought up would have been kind of fun as an experiment to do because I would maintain that, yeah, if you put a guy who's a decent prospect in a great offense and a great system the 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 organization knows what it's doing and you have surrounding talent that knows what it's doing you're going to get better faster and easier and you're going to develop more confidence and that's going to help you continue to make good games whereas if you end up in a situation like bill belichick's without tom brady and now you have a defensive coordinator running the show for your offense and you have Play, a lot of discount players who can't really support you because you're not quite there yet, then yeah, it's going to get precipitously worse. And I think that that gets to my next topic that I've kind of enjoyed because I like Bill Belichick and I know that he's one of the great coaches in the league. But it's also, I think it's also true that Tom Brady was a big reason, was the bigger reason probably why the, the Patriots won or was as successful on a regular basis. It doesn't mean that Belichick didn't win games with his defensive strategies on levels that Tom Brady, you know, that had nothing to do with Tom Brady and they and that outlines his greatness. But I think it kind of states that it's kind of a nice little theme that states we don't have to because a coach is great, we don't have to project that the coach is great at everything that they do. That just because, just because they've had great seasons, I I would not want Bill Belichick anywhere near my draft room, um, or my my scouting department, based on what we've seen right now. Now, would for obvious players, sure, you know, but I wouldn't want him. I wouldn't want him and what he's done based on his track record, you know great defensive I think coordinator. he used to be really good at, at trading down. I like I think he had yes. good instincts where like picking players wasn't good, but yes. he amassed so many draft picks that just yes. through through the law of large numbers he was going to get his hits. And I yeah. I don't know. I I'm kind of speaking off the cuff here. I don't have any hard data. I feel like they do this a lot less recently. Yeah. They're not doing the and maybe the deals just aren't there like they used to be. Um but he's always been everybody is average in the draft in the long run. I think we've talked about yeah. that one before that it's it's just a moving target. And if you're ahead, everybody catches up eventually. But yeah, yeah I have so many Bill Belichick thoughts. Um, if you want to dive into that. Yeah, I, please I do. Because to... I'll just end it this way and just say, yeah, I mean, he's a great coach, but it doesn't mean that he has to be. The coaches aren't great at everything. And I think that no. that's the point that, that this has shown. And he's still one of the greatest, still a Hall of Famer, you know, all of that. 
but you know, I kind of, I don't want to knock him down a peg. I just like to see the clarification from fans and it's a, it's an educational moment for fans to understand that we don't need our coaches or our players to do everything great. That doesn't, greatness isn't that you do everything that's on the list. You do certain things on the list better than everybody else. And players too. I mean, I remember getting in debates in the mid 2000s about like people would talk about like, oh, here are the best wide receivers. And then they'd like break it down. Like who's the best receivers after the catch? And like Marvin Harrison is making people's top 10. And I'm like, have you watched Marvin Harrison play? <laughs> like, like the median Marvin Harrison play is he runs a 12 yard out to the sideline, catches the ball and immediately steps out of bounds. Yeah. Like he's, it's, or like, it, like Mike Evans is very similar. Mike Evans doesn't get yards after the catch. I made a joke once he got like five yards after the catch. And I'm like, Mike Evans just set a new career high in yards after the catch. <laughs> he doesn't have to, that's yeah. not his game. That's yeah. not what they're asking him to do. Like yeah. Marvin Harrison, they wanted him to get the ball, get out of bounds. He was a smaller receiver. He avoided the big hits. He had amazing, tremendous career longevity, largely as a result of that. He did the right thing for him. But just because he's one of the top three receivers in the NFL doesn't mean he's one of the top three at each like subcomponent of receiving. Right. Like I would get in debates like Ashley Lilly is a better deep threat than Marvin Harrison. Ashley Lilly can't do anything else. And Marvin Harrison can do everything else. Marvin Harrison helps your offense more. Like your offense is better with Marvin Harrison in the deep threat role than with Ashley Lilly in the deep threat role. But like if you're just going to have a guy on the field running 40 go routes yeah. a game <laughs> yeah. it should be lily like that's not harrison's skill set just because he's good doesn't mean he's good at everything and absolutely with coaches too that belichick's always had weaknesses he's never been the perfect coach no coach is the perfect coach yeah. like paul brown would be my pick for the best coach in history and the dude was just so prideful he had bill walsh on his team for years and years and right. years <laughs> and people would come to him and say hey we're looking to hire a new coach what do you think of that bill walsh guy and paul brown told him he's never going to succeed as a head coach in the nfl he's too professorial that was the term too professorial he's too intellectual he's too cerebral yep. that won't work in the nfl you know paul brown could have had bill walsh as his successor could have was there for the taking Walsh got sick of waiting, wound up going to Stanford, and then the 49ers took a chance on him, and we all know how that turned out. But So no coach is perfect. Like, Lombardi had his issues. Um, Belichick, likewise, is not perfect. I feel like the fact that, first of all, yes, I think the game has passed him by. He's not one of the top 5, 10 coaches in the NFL anymore. He's, like, a million years old. He's been coaching forever. Like, all of his advantages, everybody's been copying Belichick for 20 years. He just doesn't have the edges he once had. And that's okay. You know, every coach eventually loses it. Like Tom Landry got fired. You know, Chuck Knoll eventually, like, walked away. He was not he was not a great coach his last five seasons. Um, that doesn't – that shouldn't um, have an impact on what came before. And I think it's unfortunate that Belichick's decline coincides so neatly with Brady leaving because now I think people – offense at those teams and i think prior to 2010 i think belichick was more important than brady yes the pats with belichick and a different quarterback do better than the pats with brady and a different head coach Agreed. after 2010 i think brady was more important than belichick um and then additionally i think rob gronkowski was probably more important than belichick at that point too um okay. i think the two of them 
Um, and and so I don't think that it was like a sudden decline when Brady left. I think he had been in decline for a while and Brady had been papering over that decline. I think Brady had been in decline for a little while and Gronkowski had been kind of papering over that decline. That's the thing about great, great players is they can cover up a lot of holes and they can make... So, yeah, by, by 2018, 2019, when the Pats were starting to decline a little bit, I don't think Brady was the quarterback he was in, say, 2010 to 2012. It would probably be peak Brady for me, maybe 2010 to 2014. Um, I don't think Gronkowski was the tight end he was from 2011 to 2017, I would say, was the last year. No, 2018 was the last year of, like, truly peak Rob Gronkowski. Um, and And so... I don't want us to – I feel like Belichick, his legacy is complicated, and, and he's always thought of as a defensive head coach. But I don't think there's any coach who has overseen as much offensive innovation since Bill Walsh. Because um, he – and this is Brady, too. People talk about Brady was a system quarterback. What system are you talking about? Until 2006, they're doing like a Earhart Perkins smash mouth offense with Corey Dillon carrying the load. And then Belichick was just like, you know, this Urban Meyer stuff in college is looking pretty interesting. We spent a couple off seasons with the Gators and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to bring the college shotgun spread to the NFL. Um, And he did pretty much overnight. And if you look at the trend in NFL offense pre-2007 and post-2007, it was the quickest and most dramatic shift in offensive tendencies I'm not going to say ever, but like in the last 50, 60 years, where in 2007, teams were running shotgun like 20% of the time, and nobody was running it as their primary offense other than the Patriots. By 2011 or 2012, that was completely reversed. It was like 80% shotgun, and nearly every team was running shotgun as its base offense, and every team was taking elements of this spread. Um, And people credit they want to give credit to McDaniels for that. But I feel like Belichick was the driving force. I mean, McDaniels is a hell of an offensive coordinator. coordinator. I My impression is that Belichick was the driving force in getting that imported. And I also think the best and most impressive season for the Pats offense from an offensive coaching standpoint was the year they didn't have an offensive coordinator. In 2010, they had no offensive coordinator. Wes Welker had torn his ACL in the playoffs the year before, and he had come back. It was the quickest recovery, but he was clearly not the same guy. He averaged like nine yards a reception. Um, he was clearly not putting stresses on defenses the same way. Um, and the Pats were like, okay, we'll just pivot to like a two tight end offense using our two rookie tight ends who always struggle and never do anything. Um, we're going to trade for Dion Branch halfway through the season, and we'll get him up to speed on our system, which is completely different than it was when he left. We're going to get him up to speed in like two games. Tom Brady, for me, that was the most impressive year of Tom Brady's career was 2010, um, despite the statistics not being there, just because people always talk about doing less with more. And usually what they mean is he's doing less, he's doing, he's doing, um, or doing more with less. He's doing less with less, but he's doing more than somebody else would have been with that less. But like, when when Brady's weapons got hurt, his efficiency declined, and the one real exception was like 2010, where he just did not have the support system that he usually did around him, and his efficiency was like higher than any year but 2007. Uh, so yeah, I I you know we did our team, you did your team to defend the planet, um, and I talked about maybe using Belichick as my offensive coordinator for that because I think that 
he is more creative and flexible and less married to a specific system than than any coach. And maybe that's because he's a defensive coach where he doesn't have his way. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love Belichick. For me, if I'm ranking coaches, I would probably have him third all time. Um, I don't think he passes Paul Brown or Vince Lombardi for me. Um, You'd have him ahead of Bill Walsh. Yeah, just because I think if we're looking at careers, Walsh was only there for 10 years. Um, and he he was as good as Belichick for those 10 years. He was better than Belichick for those 10 years. But Belichick, I think, had his fastball ball for 15, 16, 17, 18 years. Um, so for me, and in terms of impact on the league, as I mentioned, I think he had as much impact on the league as Walsh offensively and more impact defensively. Um, I don't know if it's still true. There was a time when the Hall of Fame had three deep game plans on display in the Hall of Fame, and two of them were from Bill Belichick. It was his um, game plan in the Giants in the Super Bowl against the Bills and his game plan from the Patriots against the Rams in the Super Bowl, um, the one where he yeah. was just like, we're just going to let Thurman Thomas do whatever. Like, Thurman Thomas is going to have the game of his career, and we're going to make sure they get nothing else. And they're going to have to beat us with Thurman Thomas alone. And I don't think they can do it. And he was right, and they couldn't. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I think, no, I think it's a great argument. It's a, I, I think you make a really cogent argument in favor of Belichick over Walsh. I totally get that. I would, I like Walsh. Yeah. I would maybe argue that Walsh is more influential on offense. Yeah. Um, had a more last influence, but that's, I don't even know if that's a great argument because we still have time left to see how long the spread offense is going to be. And what you brought up about that is great. The spread isn't Belichick's invention. Like he didn't make it. it. It came from college. He was just the guy who said, we can do yeah. this in the NFL. He's the guy who kind of imported it over. So, yeah, yeah now I'm talking myself into, no, there's no way he was as influential as Walsh um, or like Coriel. Um, but the but, but influential and best doesn't necessarily are, yeah. aren't the same. They're not the same thing. So I, I see the argument for Belichick because to me it's not, again, a coach doesn't have to be an inventor. He just has to be an influencer. And 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 someone who's and he's done that so i mean i think it's a great argument whether you you whether you have talked yourself out of it or not it's still a it's still still a good check i think walsh was a much better talent evaluator too and i think if people want to take notes about walsh like if you want to copy bill walsh um marrying talent to scheme um i don't know that there's anybody since the merger that has done that as well where where he's saying i'm going to find out what you do and i'm going to emphasize that and, and belichick's way up there too i mean you look at wes welker yep he, when he was in miami aaron he, hernandez gronkowski right. yeah right yeah. and i love too like my favorite thing too is like just how how everything morphed like nothing was static nothing was stable oh. like gronkowski was an established superstar my pick for the best tight end to ever play by 2014 2015 2016 and then belichick's like let's use them differently and they started like attacking the deep middle and having sending him on those deep seam routes rob gronkowski led the nfl in yards per reception over a three-year span not led all tight ends he led the nfl rob gronkowski one deshaun jackson two and he's like a 250 pound giant ginormous man tight end belichick like really he didn't even have to innovate. They were a great offense, but he did it anyway. And he kind of like led to this whole, like 
using the big receivers attacking the deep middle of the field. That was yeah. that was a Belichick. He was leading the charge on yeah. that. And he was influenced by that way back in the day from the Lions when the Lions, he was a coach with the Lions and they had a you know a couple of good tight ends. He talked about that. But then look at the running backs too. I mean, you could yeah, he had he got things out of Antoine Smith, out of Corey Dillon, big backs like that. But he also had guys Danny like Danny Woodhead. Yep, Danny Woodhead, Deion Lewis, James White. James White is probably the most vanilla running back that that you could possibly look at. Who's like great guy, by the way, great guy. But like, just does he's he's like the resume. Like if you want to say. We need a running back who can do just about everything. Now, he's not going to do it great, but he's going to hit every notch that you're looking for as far as the bare minimum expectation. He might be that median of what you're looking for. Um, they got out of James White. Look at LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, the difference between LeGarrette, you know, you could say, well, Ramondre Stevenson and LeGarrette Blunt are similar, but I would argue they're different. But he did a lot. He found ways to get these backs to work out as well. Like if he if he was as good with receivers as he was at running back and tight end, it, he that would be you know we would never be talking about that as a glaring weakness. But that's the other thing is he was strong in so many other ways of being able to work with talent that you know it's almost kind of ad admirable when you start knocking on him for saying, well, he, they couldn't pick an outside receiver to save their life. And even the ones they brought in, they had a lot of misses. You know, we don't talk about Demarius Thomas and, um, you, you know, some and Brandon Lloyd and Chad Johnson. Uh, you know, we talk about Randy Moss, you, you know, so, right. which right. understandable, but it's, it, it's, that's even admirable, you know, so. Danny Woodhead yeah. was cut by the Jets in 2010 yeah like two games into the season the jets are like this guy's awful yeah and belichick picked him up and he had a thousand yards from scrimmage in 15 games for the patriots yeah. off the street no offensive install yeah and and it wasn't just him making it out of a system because we saw danny no, woodhead he, in, with the chargers and the rent and the ravens after that and he was yep, good yep. you know yep Belichick just recognized he, you know, people saw liabilities and Belichick saw opportunities. Yeah. Um, and and I, this started as me saying Walsh was the best at that. And, and like, I think, yes, Walsh was better at this even than Belichick. But like, there's a very short list of coaches who are like, show me a player and I can show you what he can do yeah. rather than what he can't do. Um, and Belichick are, and Walsh are both way up there. And it's I don't think it's any coincidence at all that they're two of the most yeah. successful coaches of all time. Yeah, and it's maybe a little further back, but I would argue John Madden was up there in that regard. Mm -hmm. too. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, I'll end my last one, I'll probably say, is Lamar Jackson. Just just getting to see a different offense. It's, it's just everything. Like, his career arc, if you were to say, what's the theme about Lamar Jackson? It's that he's always proving the public wrong. Like, the mass the mass is wrong. You know, whether it's, is he really a quarterback? Um, can he, you know, can he play from the pocket? Um, you know, can he negotiate his own contract? You know, um you know, this guy just continues to defy what everybody wants to put parameters on him to be. And here we are again. And it was kind of Jordan Love-esque for him too, because early in the season, you know, people like, I don't see much difference in this offense. It, does, it looks kind of the same thing. And then you would, 
then he'd have some bad moments and say, well, he hasn't really won games for them. He's not really the the big issue. And and people are talking about how this offense needs time and, you know, to develop. And as it did, you started to see him really come to the fore. And you could even see it on film if you looked at it more. You could see the differences if you really watched it. But to, to me, a nice testament this year was for Odell Beckham to say, this is by far the best offense I've ever played on. Um, and he's been around enough offenses now at this point. You know, if you're going to say the one thing that he might be the best at is being a journeyman um, at the latter stages, stages of his career. So he would know. And, you know, I mean, he played with Sean McVay, you know, and Sean McVay certainly gets a lot of cred for his offenses and deservedly so. Um, so for him to say, no, man, this is it. That's a, that's a telling statement. So to watch Lamar Jackson and feel like that he's still on the upswing with his career is really exciting. Yeah. I, I knew this preseason that I wanted pieces of this Ravens offense in fantasy. I, I was buying the hype big time that like everything you guys are saying coming out of Baltimore, that sounds awesome to me. It's like when Elway got away from Reeves and, and it wasn't even Mike Shanahan. It was um, Wade Phillips and Jim Fossil. But they're just like, we're going to do, we're like, we're going to tailor around or, or not to knock Danny, Dan Reeves, Dan Reeves goes to Atlanta and Dan Reeves is like, I'm going to fit an offense to Vic. I don't know if he just, if he learned from LA or, or, or what, but like the offense and then they, they fired Reeves and they put Vic in like the dumbest possible offenses. <laughs> they're, they're like doing horizontal offenses. And I'm like, why are you spreading the field horizontally? Mike yeah. Vic spreads the field horizontally yeah. by existing. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I wanted so many pieces of this offense unfortunately all i got was mark andrews rashad bateman and gus edwards um so but again good process bad outcome but yeah, yeah. Th that i was i i love lamar jackson i would not pick him as mvp right now just because mvp is a full season award if we were talking like week eight onwards mvp easy choice for me but there was, and, and understandably, I'm not holding it against him. When you're switching, it takes a while for everything to gel. Yeah. And the first eight games of the season, everything wasn't there yet. And you're yeah. right that you could see the potential. You could see, like, oh, I can see how this is going to come together once it's finally ready. Um, and I love that, you know, it finally came. And, and by midseason, um, everything was gelling. But it, MVP for me is a full season award. I wouldn't pick Lamar Jackson just because of the slow start. Um, I'm not going to be mad if he gets it. Yeah, sure. I feel like some quarterbacks put up with more nonsense than others. And in 2015, I thought Carson Palmer should have been MVP, but I was really happy that Cam got it because there was just a lot of bullshit surrounding Cam Newton. Yeah. Um, if you want to talk about fever dreams, uh, imagine a scenario where the 49ers don't pick Brock Purdy with the last pick in the draft, and they enter this offseason with nothing at quarterback, and Lamar Jackson comes available, and they're like, hmm. <laughs> imagine, like... The 49ers <laughs> trading for, which again, no, not because I, I love him in this offense, but like imagine him in that offense too. Well, see, I, my fever dream all this time was they shouldn't have picked Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. They should have taken Lamar Jackson. And with oh, that yeah. offensive line they had yeah. with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, good luck stopping the run with those three in the backfield. I mean, to me, that would have been unbelievable to see. And I think with Stefanski, he could have run Stefanski's offense easily. Um, so, and you know, the, the Joe Flacco thing, 
I'll I'll add that as a fan, you know, as a fan, just say, you oh, know, yeah. that, I mean, how can you? I mean, I'm not even a big Flacco fan, but after Is Joe Flacco elite, yeah. <laughs> But after one game, what was crazy is after one game, you go, okay, I know that their th teams are going to see more and go this, but he spreads the field better and accesses secondary receivers better than any quarterback that the Browns have had in years. And it's just like that, that's a telling statement. And it's still continuing to happen, like fitting the ball in tight windows, buying time and making the most of what his receivers can do. It's kind of like saying, you know, to me, this is why if you have a good team, just get a veteran quarterback, you know, put them in there. Now, I understand that Matt Ryan didn't quite work out. Phillip Rivers didn't quite work out. But those were guys that probably were athletically past their prime and didn't have quite as strong of a team as they needed to really have it mesh well. But Flacco's... And I think Rivers was good. I I, I wouldn't put yeah. Rivers in that bucket. I thought he played really well for the Colts. I mean, given that, you know, like, obviously yeah. he's near the end. But I don't I, – I don't – Ryan fell apart. He Wentz was a different tier. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. He gets, he gets lumped in. But I thought Rivers gave him above-average quarterback play. Yeah. Um, I always love just from, like, a – you know, like, the universe is not fair. Um, people don't get what they deserve. But I – I love it when they do. And I love when teams are rewarded for putting adults in the locker room. <laughs> um, you know, you, you watch that, the post game, like Joe Flacco talking to the team after that first game. Um, and he's just saying like, you know, like guys, I love you all. Like I, there's, there's too much here. Um, there's too much good here to let the season languish. And like, I'm super grateful that you gave me a chance to like be a part of this. And like, I'm just here to like help you guys realize your full potential. Um, and he's just been such a steadying force on yeah. a team that really needed it. And he's been, you know, an adult and a consummate professional. Like is Joe Flacco as good as people thought he would be after the 2012 playoffs? No, but Joe Flacco, even if his skills are not, they're a bit diminished from what they were is an asset to a team from a locker room culture standpoint. Um, and he's a veteran who's been around and he's seen everything. And that's a team that kind of needs a veteran who's been around and who's seen everything. Um, I'm trying to think, would he be this good on the jets? I don't know. Cause that's yeah. all, that's what everybody's bringing. Like it was dumb of the jets to roll with Zach Wilson. And it, this isn't hindsight. Everybody's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like right. you're going to compete for the season with Zach Wilson at quarterback. We've seen that. We know how yeah. that plays out. They should have made a play for Joe Flacco. Uh, I think, I'm glad they didn't because he's more fun to me on yeah. the Browns than he would have been on the Jets. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And it it would be the it would be the best thing ever just to to see. That would be the most Cinderella story ever outside of Kurt Warner, you know, to to see Joe Flacco lead Cleveland to a, to a Super Bowl. And I would love to see yeah. Miles Garrett walk away with this season from a ring with a ring. Yeah. Cuz you want to talk about MVP and, and Yep. <clears throat> A quarterback is always the most valuable player in the game. Just is. It's just the nature of the game. It doesn't matter. Um, and so if you want to play, like, language games, then sure, the MVP should always be a quarterback. But I think language games are dumb. If you want to take those language games to, the lo to their logical conclusion, maybe the MVP is the guy with the worst backup. Because if he goes down, the team falls off the most. Maybe the MVP is the guy with the cheapest contract because he gives so much. Brock <laughs> Purdy's definitely MVP because, like, he's almost as good as these other guys. Plus, you get $40 million to spend on other stuff. And so I'm in favor of just, like, 
just skip the play the, the the language games i like player of the year awards where you can just recognize somebody who is outstanding yeah and um i think the two most outstanding exceptional far above their peers players i've seen this year are miles garrett and uh christian mccaffrey and i would love for for one of them to get and i know we've got offensive player of the year defense player of the year and whatever and we have the there's like the Burt Bell player of the year and, and there's lots of other awards um, and that's good. But people think that the Associated Press MVP is the only award that exists. Um, so I would love Miles Garrett to get like all the flowers after the season he's had. And every time I mention him, everybody's like, he's not even the best pass rusher in the end in the AFC North. And I'm like, I love TJ Watt. I feel like Garrett is number one with yeah. a bullet. Yeah. And then um, Micah Parsons yep. is like a one A. Yep. And then you have TJ Watt and Nick Bosa, and that's not a knock on them to say that they are the third and fourth yeah. pass rushers in the NFL for my money. But like they're just not in the same tier right now. The way that that Garrett and Parsons are playing, Watt's just not on that level at this moment. Yeah, Steelers fans will uh, vigorously disagree with you on that end, but at the same time, I'm with you. To me, you mentioned three players that were that I thought stood out this year, and that was Garrett, McCaffrey, and Parsons, for sure. And Watt always stands out. I mean, Watt is as steady as it comes, as it gets. And But there, Garrett's ability to, to really work inside, outside, and, you know, defend the run as well as defend the pass. And, and, and it, it, I'm not defend the pass, but pressure the passer is fantastic. You give him, this is the first time he's actually had another competent player in Zadarius Smith, who, you know, they can do some things schematically to, to make a difference. I mean, you could say that Jadavian Clowney certainly could do that, but he's an inconsistent player um, and much better as a run penetrator than he is as really a pass rusher. Um, but yeah, those two, him and McCaffrey were my, my bets right there for sure. So, and Garrett and Parsons are both doubled more than twice as often as Watt is. Yeah. Um, so you want to talk about like a friendly scheme, you know, like obviously we talked about Purdy, like it, you can't just chalk it up to the scheme. You've got to execute no. within that scheme. And Watt does that. He's leading the NFL in sacks, I believe with 17. Yeah. Um, but Garrett and Parsons are tasked with harder responsibilities and the rest of the defense, there's knock on effects everywhere else. You know, the Browns have more sacks than the Steelers, I believe. And I don't think anybody but Garrett has more than six. Yeah. Um, but he's just creating and so yeah Parsons and Garrett they're doubled more often and they win more often despite being doubled um, and just watching the way that offenses react to Garrett um, <laughs> yes. you, you know who coaches think has been the best pass rush, rusher this year they're they're telling you loud and clear yeah it's and I would say one of the most impressive plays I saw this year period just on film was watching him on a play where he penetrated out, penetrated the edge to contain the edge on a Jonathan Taylor run. And Taylor gets maybe like a yard and a half past him. And and he Taylor's running downhill and accelerating downhill. And Garrett moves laterally off of his def, off of his blocker and catches Taylor from behind, wraps him behind the waist, and pulls him backward. You don't pull Jonathan Taylor is by definition probably he and Derrick Henry are the two best pile movers. He him Taylor and Chubb are the three best pile movers in football. Like they will push a pile, keep their legs 
keep their feet under them and allow linemen to get generate the push better than any backs in the league right now period and when you're that strong of a back and you have a guy move laterally to catch up with you like cover like a four or five yards area grab you from behind and you just stop and you're running downhill and you're Jonathan Taylor that doesn't happen that's as ridiculous of a feat I saw as as watching Anthony Richardson make that throw with um with Aaron Donald wrapped around him with a helmet in his chest you, you know and that was and watch Donald just shake his head like what do you want me to do like that was the crazy that that's nuts I don't I can't see how he did that that was Miles Garrett had that moment this year so with like you know about 15 minutes left or so let's talk about some of these rookies then this is, we brought up Anthony Richardson you know guys that maybe you know, confirm for us that they're they're going to be good or already are good, and guys that we feel like maybe didn't con- or they confirm for us that maybe they've got some work to do, or surprised us either way, you know, positive or negative, and guys that maybe we're still waiting on and we believe that there's something there. It's just they didn't have the opportunity, possibly. Yeah, I, I always love. <clears throat> I mean, you know, I don't watch college, so like I don't have opinions on players heading into their rookie season but i have a lot of opinions on them heading out and it's fun to compare like what i saw with like what the consensus was on guys um coming out and it's it's hard for me because i don't have that anchor of like college production so i think i'm easier to sway than maybe i should be um but i tend to react pretty strongly to rookie years like i look at um quentin johnston in in los angeles and i'm like this guy was like, I think he was legitimately one of the top prospects in the NFL, but I see like nothing from him. He's a guy who like, I'm, I never fully write off anyone, but I'm like, I I just don't see the path to relevance there. I don't see what he does at an NFL or how he gets to a point where he's, he's providing because the chargers needed him and they gave him every opportunity and they're, they're, you know, trying to, to integrate him into the offense and it just wasn't working. So yeah, Quentin Johnston, I, I pretty much am out on and, and I would love for him to prove me wrong. Um, I was way out on Devontae Adams for exactly the same reason. Like he just wasn't good his first two years. And I'm like, received two or this bad their first two years pretty much never become good. And he proved me wrong. And that's awesome for him. You know, one of, I think his most important traits is his mental resiliency that he was able to maintain faith in himself after those two years and and hopefully johnston is resilient enough that like he's not down after this season um yeah i uh, let me mention I mean, on him. Be... let me let me mention something about johnston because i think Please that's a, that's a good point is that the contract i i'd say from a broad level your comparison with Devonte adams and johnston in terms of the potential to not totally rule them out is is a good one to make. I would say from a, you know, getting into the mic, into the details of their games, I would say that Adams catching the ball for Adams wasn't as much of a, a technical issue, but his ability to be on the same page route wise with, with Aaron Rodgers was the, what took long. Cause he was like, athletically, I knew I could play, um, you know, but it, uh, right away, he said, but it took me three years to figure out how to run routes in the NFL. Um, and I think with Johnston, he's actually a better route runner coming in than he is a pass catcher. 
And that's the concern is can he track and make the right positioning um, right positioning attacks on the ball in the way that, team, that, that the Chargers want to use him? Because, or does he become more of a Keenan Allen type of role player and when Allen leaves and they put him in there and then he starts to thrive because that's where I think a lot of draft people who I feel like had a right beat on him knew where he fit, which was he's a better slot receiver who you catch, let him catch underneath and run after the catch. That's what he does best. Asking him to to win a ball where he has to perform a jump back on a on a fade or on a go route and earn position and use the right hands attack to win the ball, that's where he fails miserably. And that's where we saw him fail miserably on a regular basis. So I think he's... Which is kind of, interesting because yeah. I feel like he was billed more as a Mike Williams replacement than a Keenan Allen. He, he was. <laughs> and that's where I think the, the, mass draft, like the mass draft media portrayed him that way. But if you watch his tape at TCU, that's why I had him ranked you know, lower than most was like, he could be great if he fixes these things, but these are tough fixes and the things that they're going to ask him to do right away. That's not his game. Like you can get away with dropping two or three passes in a game at TCU and still win the ball game. You can't drop two or three passes like that in the NFL and not be considered uh, benchable material if you're doing that weekly. That's where Johnston was essentially going with that is that you know just because if it's a technical flaw and then there's maybe some tracking issues behind it like you don't if you can't see the ball and decide i should do this or i should do this and you don't you can't tell that with the ball in the air that's a that's a hard fix i mean so when we're talking like Jake Reed might be the only player in the history of the NFL who really clearly had that problem, overcame it, and had, like, good seasons. You know, Robert Meacham was, like, had one good year um, and then just kind of was a tertiary option. Um, Sammy Coates, I remember a scout just saying to me at the Senior Bowl, texting me one time before we met, he was just like, he goes, man, Sammy Coates was working out. He goes, it's so funny. He goes, he, he just, he's, he's writing, LOL. If they just did a simple drill where they had his back to the football and just tossed the ball over his head and told him to catch it like from five yards away, we would know everything we need to know about Sammy Coates right now. But no one's going to know. And, and, and some team's going to pick him high, you, you know? And it was so prophetic in terms of how he was. So yeah, Johnston to me is, I'm with have you. Have you watched him at all? Have you have you felt like the route running has translated? Yeah, I think the route running has been okay for what they've asked him to do. He's gotten open, earned separation. I think that they're the problem is is they're asking his best fit would be in the slot where he runs or more as an underneath guy. Like he runs good slants. He's a very good slant receiver, but you know, he can run over routes, slants, crossers. You can get some comebacks out of him, some outs, and I think he's fine. But the issue has just been wide open or in a situation where he should just win the ball. And when your hands are like right here in your chest and they should be over your head attacking the ball at its earliest point, 
and you're either dropping the ball or someone's knocking it free because you didn't have the right attack, a lot of the big plays that he failed on are due to those things rather than the route running. Okay. I, so I have a question for you as somebody who obviously has stronger priors and opinions about these players um, before they enter the NFL. Like, what would you do with something like um, JSN, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers versus someone like Puka Nakua and Tank Dell, where, um, you know, maybe the three were more highly regarded coming in. The latter two have, have mostly been more productive since and impressive since they've been here. Would those be your top five from this class right now, or would you like slip a Rashi Rice, Jaden Reed, Josh Downs, I would, um, someone like that in there? I would probably slip Jaden Reed in there. Um, I might even put him above Tank Dell just because I want to see the way Tank Dell was used was really good. The way Tank Dell played when he was on the field was really good. I'm not sure Tank Dell's going to hold up. I'm also not sure, you know, you know, if I'm going to get we're talking top five, you know, if I'm picking a top 10, I'll be like, and I put tank Dell and I go, I'm really excited about his prospects. I think that he's going to be good. He's a, such a strong route runner. He plays bigger than his size. All of that would never bring up the injury thing. But if I'm going to s- limit it down to five, then I would say he's a little undersized. Um, he still doesn't attack the ball as well as he could in certain situations and I think the more that he gets leaned on the more he's going to get tested and if he passes that test he'll be in that top five for me maybe even my top three but right now for me JSN while he didn't get the volume that you would want maybe or the priority that you're looking for and the quarterback wasn't playing great you saw him build as the season went on and you see him making big plays. And I think there's a lot more to his game based on my priors um, that I believe in. Zay Flowers, I mean, I think it's only going to get better just in terms of the familiarity he and Lamar Jackson have in that offense. So I, what I saw from him was good. But I would probably have him a little... I would probably have him... He's kind of a little there's he's in the tier and but deserves to be in that tier, but maybe a little more boom bust in that tier just because I don't know how much Lamar Jackson is going to deliver trust throws to him as a function of the offense and use him in as broad of a way that maybe Tank Dell would be used or maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba will eventually be used or the way Jaden Reed is being used right now. Addison it's just a it's about quarterback play really more than anything else like if they get if they get themselves a good quarterback, Jordan Addison, what he did to me was like I thought Jordan Addison was a better version of Devonta Smith, and I know a lot of people love Devonta Smith, but I think Addison is a a more complete player and a more physical player at the catch point, where that allows you to be more of a primary option than what Devonta Smith actually is with AJ Brown, the big bully, standing behind him. Um, so yeah, Addison to me, I would probably say if I had a top three right now, it would probably be, I would still probably put Jackson Smith and Jigba tops, maybe Addison second flowers, maybe read, maybe read third flowers fourth. And then, um, you know, Puka, Puka, 
Oh, and I forgot all about Puka. I, I was about to say, I'm surprised. About, we're getting pretty we're, far down. Yeah, I, haven't, I forgot Puka. all about Puka. I would probably still... I would probably put Puka over Reed and Flowers. I'd put him third. So Puka three. Yeah, Puka three. And and it's not that Puka to me landed. Puka, I think if I'm doing it based on production, we're, from a fantasy standpoint, he's probably number one. Okay, but I think Smith and Jigba has enough growth that the volume may he may catch up to that. And I think with um, with Addison, I think Addison may be the more steadier and maybe have a steadier career. Um, but it, I'm nitpicking at that point. Puka probably could be number two right there. Yeah. I mean, we'll put Puka too. I haven't really thought about that way. Put, put Puka too. And, and I think part of that is that he's in, he's in a good offense. You can see that they're using him as that flanker outside option. And, so they can use him as a flanker and a slot option. And with Stafford right now, that translates really well. Longer term, I think the, the bigger question is, will the Vikings figure out their quarterback situation um, before the Rams figure out their long-term quarterback situation? Uh, or will the Rams need to figure out their long-term quarterback situation in the next three to five years? I would argue it's going to be two or three. Um, but if Stafford plays another five, which I think would be a miracle, you know, if Stafford plays another five, we're going to have a whole show devoted to that guy because yeah. that, I mean, and that, it, there's an if he plays another five, he's going to have like records. He's going to be, I don't know that it'll pass Tom Brady, but he's no. going to be top five in career passing yards. And yeah. I don't think people are really prepared to grapple with <laughs> no, Matt Stafford. Aren't. Yeah. Number four all time on the career passing list. <laughs> but but his story will be forever at that point will be as an Iron Man. Because Which is so funny because yeah. coming like it just shows how dumb injury prone is. Because that yeah. was the knock. Like, oh Stafford, yeah. great talent. Just so injury prone. Yeah, it's too reckless and you know, yep. he's coming off the bench in that Lions game as a rookie, you know, and but you'll that'll be the defining moment of his career in as far as like the budding moment that says, Hey, you know, so so yeah, it's kind of I, I certainly Puka Puka deserves to be one of the top two. I still love Smith and Jigba's game and think that you're gonna see that grow and that and that the Seahawks will hopefully figure out their quarterback. If you don't trust the Seahawks, then you probably put Puka first. You probably put Smith and Jigba second or third with the Flowers, and then you have Reed and um Reed and Dell in there too. So I mean it's it's a good group. Yeah. Tank Dell's um, kind of a hard one for me. My heuristic on stuff like this is like prefer the guy who's doing the harder thing because it's easier to learn the easy thing than it is to learn the hard thing. And so like Nico Collins and Tank Dell to me is a lot like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin um, where I know you're you're a big Chris Godwin guy. Um, I was always like a big Mike Evans guy because like Godwin is doing great team's getting him on a linebacker like 40 to 50 percent of the time it's a lot easier to get open on a linebacker so if evans is equally productive as godwin and evans is doing the harder thing like the office is going to miss evans more if he's out than it's going to miss godwin if he's out i think godwin um not a knock on godwin but i think it's easier to find a replacement for godwin than than to find somebody who gives you what evans gives you and my impression on the texans offense is that like nico collins is that guy who's doing the hard thing that like it's harder to find 
a replacement for Nico Collins than it is to find a replacement for Tank Dell. Not that you could ever really replace Tank Dell because he has been fantastic at what he's been doing. And so it's hard for me because as excited as I am about the Texans and as much as I'm like, I just want long-term shares in that offense because it's fun and it's a good story. And I don't know, maybe three years from now, I don't think it's as fun. I don't think it's as good of a story. Maybe the novelty wears off. Um, But I'm kind of with you where like, by the numbers and everything, Dell deserves to be way up there. But of the guys on the list, I think Dell and Addison are the two that give me the most pause um, because I think they're the two that are like clearly benefiting from somebody else doing the harder thing. So I'll say this. I love, I think the argument you make is a good one, though I wish you didn't invoke Chris Godwin as the example of that, but I understand why you see it that way. You could way. do AJ Brown and yeah. Devontae Smith. Yeah. I know that's, yeah, yeah. that's a more palatable yeah. one. Because like for me, like I look at the, I think you're right about what you're observing with how they're playing Godwin and Evans, but I know from what I've seen of Godwin, Godwin could have been a primary receiver in the NFL. He could have been Amari Cooper, if you ask me. Like they, they just chose to use him because intellectually his level of play in the middle of the field to be on the same page with Tom Brady and make all these little defensive adjustments made him get the draw those easy matchups, you, you know, and do really well in that regard. But I've seen enough of him to know, yeah, if you put him in a Roddy White role or put him in a, you know, in, in a Amari Cooper type of role, he could have done that. And I, and I think that he, it's kind of, he's an unsung player in that way, but your, your argument's absolutely on point with that. Or I, I guess more palatable comparisons. Like you could say the same thing about like Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce. And like, we know that Isaac Bruce can do, cause we saw like 19, the second most receiving yards in history yeah. uh, 1996 he's one of two players to lead the nfl in receiving yards on a team that was bottom five in pass attempts like bruce is amazing but when the rams were the greatest show on turf holt was the guy who was doing the harder thing or or um larry fitzgerald and An- anquan bolden like it wouldn't bother me the slightest if anquan bolden made the hall of fame um like he he deserves to be in the hall of like badasses yeah because like the dude was like didn't he play once with like a broken orbital bone yeah Yeah. and and like he ran angry you know like he's he he he, he's like me but pay for it you got you got to make a business decision decide if that's worth it like i loved watching anquan bolden play larry fitzgerald was the guy who was doing the harder thing um and for me yeah i i don't project forward as much as you do because i'm not evaluating processes and i'm not looking at skill sets and whatever um and and so yes maybe dell or addison or godwin or whoever projected that they could do this thing but i'd rather bet on a guy who i see doing the thing right now than a guy who i think could possibly do the thing in the future that makes total sense i'll say this i wouldn't trade Jaden reed for any of them like even although he may be lower on my board if i yeah. i'm i have Jaden reed in a few leagues i have puka nakua in a few leagues i have Puk- i got reed and nakua in one league where i had aging receivers like keenan allen mike michael thomas and adam thielen um so it was a really nice draft year for me oh yeah and anthony richardson was my first pick so like i hit on my draft in this league and i really needed to um but uh but yeah that reed to me is a is a baller he to me he has some stefan diggs potential to his game and at worst right now, he's Lavernius Coles, which was a, you know, you know, like a, a 
six thousand yard seasons, I think, out of seven or yeah, or at least for multiple franchises, yeah. multiple yeah. franchises. Yep. Yeah, good player. Bowles was great. Yeah, yeah. I got um, I got Kincaid and Reed in one of my leagues, and I'm feeling pretty happy about that. Uh, which I guess speaking of, like for me, I'm still a Kincaid over Laporta guy. Um, yeah. I get that the results on the field indicate Laporta, but I've seen enough from Kincaid, knowing that what you see from year one of a tight end is usually not like the final product i've seen enough from kincaid to say like this final product i think is more exciting to me but i mean obviously this is no knock on laporta i think they're they both should be top five dynasty tight ends without a question they were my two top tight ends in in my tier pre-draft and post-draft well i think pre-draft post-draft but i know for sure post-draft i had kincaid fifth i had laporta 11th overall in terms of like my rankings and he was just they're both in my top tier at Porta is an underrated player, slightly underrated. Kincaid, I mean, look, we, I, I hyped up Kincaid so much because I thought he would be the exception, and he didn't turn out to be. But he still wound up a tight end one, which is yeah. I was about to say he he was absolutely the exception. Yeah, and and if you look at top rookie producers in ever, he's yeah. on the list. He and Laporte, yep. Laporte just happened to be number one. And Laporta right. was a guy that I mentioned is like he could wind up being the number one based on fit. But Kincaid, yeah, if they they start unlocking Kincaid's vertical game, it's all over because Kincaid has that matchup win one on one primary wide receiver Kelsey like I'm gonna win the ball in the air type of game. He can do that. Yeah, Kincaid had um, a couple down games in recent weeks where he just had two targets. Um, in each game, finished with one reception for seven yards uh, this last game, but the two games before that. And so I think that's kind of clouding perceptions. But um, he has topped four receptions in, like, every game but four this year. He's going to probably finish the year with 70 grabs. Like, this is not this is not a good season for a rookie tight end. It's a good season. It's not a great season. Um, but, like... If your journeyman veteran tight end performed to this level, you're very happy with that outcome. Yeah. Now, we didn't talk about Rasheed Rice much. Um, and I'm just going to say I need to watch more of him before I make a conclusion. I would say that he was, what I can tell you is the Rasheed Rice we're seeing right now was not what people projected him to be doing in role when he came out and if you projected him based on the role of what he would be doing as not really a slot player but an outside player i would say i would say that it's not it doesn't match up what he's showing is he's he's playing more the sky more role that people wanted more to play and he's having success with that but a lot of it's manufactured Offense. Right, it, the whole do the hard thing heuristic, like yeah. super productive. To me, he's not in the tier yeah. with these top six. Like the, maybe the next guy, yeah. um, especially with Mahomes there. Like he, you know, there's a nice. I I don't want to say Mahomes gives you a nice floor because we've seen a lot of receivers not be good. Yeah. You mentioned Sky Moore. Um, just because you're with Mahomes doesn't mean you're going to be good. But if you are a good receiver and you're playing with Mahomes, you're going to be productive. Yes. And as a player that hasn't really busted out yet, but has shown something, I would, sticking with wide receivers, I'm a little more convinced that Jalen Hyatt could be a thing. Um, you know, with the craptastic quarterback and offense that they he's been on, um, he's made some big plays and he's gotten open. 
It's just a matter of having the quarterbacking. He would probably be moving up my board. I just think that that's going to be good. I think Josh Downs with Anthony Richardson, you know, certainly that's going to be worthwhile. And potentially Pittman. I think Pittman's a free agent after the year, isn't he? Yes. So that could be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd mentioned Michael Wilson's a guy who, like, hasn't put it all together, but, like, I've seen a lot of things. And I mentioned a lot of times end of my roster i'm just looking for somebody to give me a reason to like him yeah and wilson has given me a lot of reasons to like him um more than than i did originally yeah i would agree marvin mims looks like the type of player that you're like why aren't they playing him more like (laughs) that's just to me to me marvin i had marvin mims 13th and Jaden reed 14th on my board just outside the top tier like if i had expanded my tier to a top 15 Mims and Mims and Reed would have been in that. Um, and I had both, you know, I had Jaden Reed, one of my three most underrated options or four most underrated options in the, in the first two tiers post-draft in May. I would say Mims was slightly underrated. And I just, I look at him and I think he's going to be able to deliver at least, I think he could be what Jordan Addison has already shown right now. At worst. And I think And the that, funny thing is he's yeah. the type of receiver who's normally catnip for Sean Payton offenses. Yeah. Like like more even if he's not complete yeah. yet, you would think that they could at least use him as Devery Henderson. Yeah. Um, or like Lance Moore. Like you think that they could they could get like at minimum Devery Henderson out of so I don't know if that's Payton, I don't know if that's Wilson. Yeah. Obviously there's a lot of friction there where um you know, like things just weren't meshing um and i don't know who to pin that on but in theory marvin mims is exactly the kind of guy who like even if he's not the next jordan addison even if he's not a top receiver like you could get a couple thousand yard seasons just as the the deep option um in the sean payton offense yeah and going back to tight end real quick i would say you know i i would say the luke musgrave tucker craft is fascinating because i you know I had Musgrave ranked 35th on my board, which is, and as the, let's see, seventh tight end. So that's not where a lot of people, a lot of people had him higher because of his athletic ability, but I didn't, I was, I always kind of felt like, oh, they got Tucker Craft too. Like Tucker Craft is like a, was a good player. I had him in the same tier as Musgrave. Now I had him 15 spots lower and because you could get him on par for what his draft value was. Whereas I thought Musgrave was slightly overrated um, very slightly, but I think that, you know, they both could function on one level, but I think Kraft is a more rugged all around player who still has some growth room to be a little bit more of an intermediate vertical route option. Although Musgrave's Speed makes it obvious. I don't think he's as refined as Kraft is in the areas where tight ends get most of their targets. So that's one where if you're going to take the lower bet, Kraft is absolutely the one that I would take the lower bet on if it's, you know, if you have, if you're looking at it from a draft capital standpoint. Tank Tank Bigsby is a player that I think a lot of people are going to, I had Tank Bigsby 46th on my board. I thought he was overrated by basically a round and a half um, in a 12-team league. And, I mean, at least three of Trevor Lawrence's interceptions were due to Tank Bigsby not being able to catch a football. 
and he bounces lots of he's not the smartest runner in terms of decision making um so i'm 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 not completely out on tank bigsby but i'm not counting on him to be to d- deliver it's the way that maybe Kendra Miller. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, if they get an opportunity, they're going to produce. Like yeah. if Etienne goes down to an injury and Bigsby is the guy, he's going to get you a thousand yards, whether he's good or not. Yeah. That's the, that's the big thing. But am I going to, am I going to wait on him? Am I going to put a roster spot there for him? Or would I rather have a roster spot for Kendra Miller or Chase Brown? Um, probably the I answer love Chase is, Brown. Yeah. Chase Brown looked good. Yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for like developmental tight ends, probably to my detriment because they just like they don't have the hit rate. But I I don't know why I just can't quit them. And I loved this tight end class so much. So like I'm I'm doing like off season preparations and I'm like who should I add to the end of my roster? And like hey Luke Schoonmaker's out there, Darnell Washington, yep. Brenton Strange. They're like. I could see, I could see. And, you know, yeah. it, especially with tight ends, there's always the built-in excuse. Well, they didn't do anything this year, but they're a rookie tight end. So Josh Wild with the Titans was showing up a little bit before he got hurt. And then, then Chig kind of got better, you know. But, yeah, those are options for sure. So, look, you know, this was a great show. We, uh, we're going to, we'll talk more about some of these rookies the next time we meet up as well as other topics. Obviously, you can find Adam's work at footballguys.com. You can also find me there. You can find the rookie scouting portfolio at mattwaldman.com, W-A-L-D-M-A-N. Um, you can get it for twenty-one ninety-five. get a pre-draft and post-draft, entering its 19th year. And look, it's, you know, it helped me overcome a bad draft this year. I want to chance, I want my, I'm going to do a little brag here. And I want to, um, my second straight year in a keeper league where I, my wife was finishing up school and I had to travel and I was just very poor with the draft. I missed my first round pick. Um, and I picked the wrong Dalton, trying to pick Dalton Kincaid, then dropped the wrong Dalton, who was one better than the, the Dalton I wanted. Um, but I still wound up with Sam Laporta, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Jaden Reed. And they were all very helpful for a team that didn't have but Derrick Henry at running back to win my second straight title. So, look, if you can be a screw-up like me on draft day and still somehow come away with some decent players, you know, the RSP can be helpful to you. So you can go to mattwaltman.com and check that out. (laughs) All right, thanks, everyone. Have a good week.